Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Second Phase Podcast. Today's interview may not seem applicable to entrepreneurship, but as you listen, you'll see how we can apply so many of our life experiences to tell stories that will help us connect and build deep relationships with our ideal audiences. Diana Doves is a former addict now working in the treatment industry. She took her story and is building relationships to change the future of others suffering with addiction. Those of you who are parents will love having this information in your back pocket as a safety net in the event you ever need to use it. Now, be forewarned, we recorded this episode during quarantine, so you may hear a little bit of noise in the background. I apologize for that upfront, but I think the interview is empowering and really does need to be heard. So sit back, listen, and don't hesitate to reach out and let me know your thoughts afterwards. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm Robin Graham, your host and a brand marketing strategist and photographer passionate about helping women connect and grow their audience and get more clients. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about branding, personal development, and life overall in this second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build the business from the ground up when I was actually terrified to put myself out into the world as something new. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. Diana Dubs, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure, and I'm really excited. So maybe excited isn't quite the right word, but I think your story is one that is beyond interesting, and it's one that so many people are unfamiliar with, but yet it invades into every one of our lives in unique ways. None of us go untouched. So I'm excited in that respect that we're going to open people's eyes and share a story and a journey that will definitely help others move forward if they experience this situation or know how to help others to experience this situation. So if you will, please tell us a little bit about your your first phase, like your journey into addiction and how you overcame that? So I, I think it's really important for everybody to know um, I don't come from any trauma. I don't come from any exposed alcoholism or addiction. My parents are really great people that have been married for over 50 years. Um, and I lived a really good life. So I come from a town right outside of Princeton, New Jersey. It's a pretty affluent town, um, like upper middle class area. My parents settled there. They moved here in 1965 from Italy to so their first generation or on first generation. Um, and nobody in my immediate family was afflicted with this disease. Um, I don't know 
you know, when I really tasted alcohol the first time, you know, I remember the first time I got drunk, but like the thing for me is that like, I just never felt comfortable in my own skin. I never felt like I was a part of, which was really weird because I came from this family that loved me so much, you know, but I just couldn't feel, I never felt good enough, you know? And, and again, it wasn't through anything anybody did. You know, my parents always told me that I was pretty. They always told me I was smart. They told me I could be whatever I wanted to be. It was just me, you know? Um, and that first time that I drank, it was like the first time I got drunk and it didn't matter to me what I did. It didn't matter what I said, how I felt. And it was the first time that I really felt like I didn't have control and I liked it. Like I liked not feeling like I had to watch what I said, what I did, who I interacted with. Um, you know, and for me, it was like, I chased that for a really long time, but I was always able to keep this outward appearance that things were like kind of okay. You know, um, I kind of skated through the middle of life. I, um, I never really overachieved. I never really underachieved. And, you know, I was the youngest of two brothers in an Italian family. Like nobody really like expected me to change the world. You know what I mean? So, you know, my mom really wanted me to go to college um, because she wasn't afforded that opportunity. My dad just loved me and he just wanted me to do whatever was going to make me happy. You know, um, I went to college, I went to West Virginia University and I got a 0.00 my freshman year. But like for me, <laughs> for me, it was never my fault. You know, it was always things that were going on around me. It was always, I had really bad luck. Like I was really good at making it look like I was the victim in things. And people were really good at believing me, you know, um, or wanting to believe me for that matter. Um, you know, fast forward, I could tell you all of the, like the path that led me down the road, but I'll tell you like the quickest way to get that I got there was, one night I was working at a restaurant. I was about 28 years old and I had a headache. Um, I wasn't living like the best lifestyle. I was drinking a lot at the time as it was. I didn't have a whole lot of healthy outlets and I had a headache and I asked somebody, you know, I asked somebody for a Tylenol and they didn't have a Tylenol. And, you know, for me, I never asked if something hurt me, if it was going to kill me, like for me, it was just, how is this going to make me feel? So for me, I always wanted to feel better than how I felt inside, you know? So when somebody handed me what I, you know, asked for was a Tylenol and they didn't have a Tylenol. They said, I don't have a Tylenol, but I have this. And it was this little blue pill, which ended up being a Percocet. And I took it. It was like the, that hole in my soul had been filled in. It was everything that I had been looking for, but never found, you know? Um, and, you know, as a person that is able to kind of walk away from alcohol and put it down and walk away from other things and put it down, I couldn't walk away from this. I spent the next four years chasing that feeling, you know? And everything that happens with addiction happens, right? The lying, the cheating, the stealing, the thieving, it all happens, you know? Um, I moved to Philadelphia, I got offered a job. Um, a friend of mine said, you know, why don't you come work for me? I had worked in retail previously. She had this great opportunity to work at a store on, on Chestnut Street in Philadelphia. 
um, for this really great high volume store. And we did some really great, amazing things there. But like me and Philadelphia did not mix, you know, um, it was not a good mix because the party scene was right there. And I found everybody who was doing everything exactly like I was doing them, you know? So within three and a half years, um, maybe even less than that, you know, I, I hated who I was and I couldn't get drunk any longer and I couldn't get high any longer. And I was just using so that I couldn't get sick, so that I wouldn't get sick. Nothing was working and I hated myself. I had, you know, curtains over the mirrors so I couldn't look at myself because I hated who I was. I didn't even, you know, I couldn't even recognize the person that I was. It was like a hundred pounds soaking wet, gray skin. Um, you know, and that family that loved me, they knew something was wrong, but they had no idea what it was because they didn't know about addiction, you know, like they didn't know what I was suffering with. They thought I was a gambler. They thought I was bipolar. Like they thought all these other things were wrong with me, you know? So they called me home and I knew the minute that I pulled into the driveway that like something was up, you know? Um, and I knew it was like the end of my road, but I didn't know exactly what. And I tried to do what I had always done and like negotiate my way out of that night, you know? Like, and we spent two hours fighting and I was trying to lie my way out of it. You know, and then finally I just threw my hands up and I said, I can't do this anymore. Like I need help, you know? Um, and I, like, I tell you that story and it sounds much nicer and much prettier than what actually happened in that house that night, you know, because, you know, I, I was surrounded by a lot of love and there was a lot of fear in that house. You know, I have, you know, my older brother and my sister-in-law and they, you know, they're, my older brother is 10 years older than me and my sister-in-law had been around since I was 12 years old and like, everybody was so involved in my life, you know? So there was a lot of passion and there was a lot of anger, you know? Um, but it was almost like the minute that I said, like, I can't do this anymore. It was like 5,000 pounds went off of my shoulders, you know? Um, and that's what I did. You know, I, I, I sat in my mom's kitchen for a few days trying to find a place to go. Um, you know, and, and even then I, I can remember not thinking that I, I had a problem still, you know, because six and a half years ago, treatment was not what treatment is today, you know, and I didn't really understand what the process was. I thought I was just going to go and they were going to take the drugs and the alcohol out of my system. Like, I had no idea that my life was going to change. I had no idea that I was going to learn how to relive and that I was going to you know, have to give up everything that I knew beforehand. And like all these aspects of how I knew my life to be, were going to be completely different. I had no idea, you know? So I ended up going to a detox. Um, and then I thought I was going home after that detox. You know, they said, you know, you're going to go here for five days. You're going to get, you're going to feel better. And then when you leave here, you'll go go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting, whatever you choose. And I was like, all right, cool. Like I could do that for five days. And then my brother and my sister-in-law came and picked me up and they started heading the wrong way down the turnpike. And I was like, where are you guys going? You know, and they dropped me off at this place, you know, and, and, you know, the place was called, ideally it was called Magic Mountain was the, the loving reference to it, you know? Um, and still I had no idea what that meant. You know, like I, I walked in there and I was full of fear and 
I think it was like tw 24 to 48 hours, I hear this guy sit up at a podium and he starts ta talking about how, you know, his thoughts ping like a ping pong ball from side to side and he hears a lot of white noise and like, you know, he described that that's what his addiction was to him, like that he couldn't formulate, you know, he couldn't formulate how to make a thought. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like, I don't, I don't understand what goes on between my head, you know? And I was like, bought in at that moment. As soon as he said that, and I was like, he feels like I do. Nobody's ever told me that, nobody's ever identified with me on that level before. And I don't even know this person. He's not even talking directly to me. He's talking to a group of people. And I felt like he was talking, like sitting right next to me. Um, and I was bought in, you know? And then from that moment, it was like, I couldn't get enough knowledge, <laughs> you know, like I needed to know how to get better, you know? Um, and it was funny because I was speaking with um, a friend of mine, Mary Fran Bontempo, and we were talking about, you know, I accidentally involved my family through this process because, you know, they dropped me off and they were like, all right, go get better because now they're mad. They were really mad at me, you know? And then I think it was like halfway through and this treatment center had this family program and I called them and I said, listen, like, all right, you guys dropped me off here and now I'm getting all this information, but like, I need you guys to come and get the same information too, because I can't get better if you guys don't get better too, you know? And I made them come and I made them get the information and my sister-in-law looked at me and she was like, I'm so glad that we did this because everything that we were going to do was completely wrong. We needed to hear this, you know? Um, and then I came home and it was like the minute that I came home, it was Thanksgiving morning, 2013. And I couldn't wait to get to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting because I was so uncomfortable. Like I had just spent 32, maybe longer than that days away with all people who were just like me. And now I'm sitting at a kitchen table, the same place I was sitting at 30 some odd days before that telling them that I had a drug problem and now where previously all the wine glasses had been on the table you know like normally on a Thanksgiving day we'd all be drinking we'd all be laughing it was like super uncomfortable because Diana just got back from treatment and like what do we say and we can't throw her off and we can't you know so I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting you know and you know, I, I, I have to say this just to respect the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am not anonymous because I feel like the more people I share my story with, the more people can connect just like I did that first day, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I went to this, this meeting and, you know, this guy said to me, he's like, just come in. There's going to be a bunch of women here soon and, you know, we'll get you through the night. And they did, you know, and then they got me through the next night and the next night and the next night. And I didn't have to worry about planning a month or a year. I just had to worry about planning what my next 24 hours were going to look like, you know? And eventually those 24 hours, they just started blending together, you know? And I had no idea, you know, and I guess I'm getting into my next phase here a little bit, you know? No, that's great because I think it's, I, so first I'm going to stop and say that you sharing your story empowers so many other people to one, get help, but two, be willing to share their stories because how can we ever solve this problem or get to the root of it or help other people if we don't tell the stories that we're living? It's giveaway time. Here's the deal. 
I am giving away two prizes. One is a brand audit. In a 30-minute call with me, we will review your website and Instagram account for brand clarity. The second prize is a, a summer 2020 bundle from my Etsy shop. You'll have a chance to win your choice, a summer 2020 bundle from my Etsy shop. You'll have a chance to win your choice of three items, a journal, a package of note cards, and a face mask to wear on all of your summer adventures. The first place winner gets their choice of the prizes. Here's how to enter. Leave a written review. Take a screenshot of the review. Then share your review on Instagram and tag me at the Robin Graham and a few friends who you think might love to listen to the second phase podcast. That's it. It's that simple. So two prizes are waiting for you. Enter today. As a, as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, we talk so much about storytelling and how empowering that is for connecting with your ideal audience or, you know, really building relationships. And that's exactly what you're doing with telling your story. It's so, you know, I, I think the thing is, is that, uh, you know, today I have my own kids. I had no idea that was going to happen. Like I came out of that treatment center and it was like, I removed the drugs and the alcohol. I started to get honest. I met my husband, um, you know, who is also a recovering addict. And, you know, all of a sudden we started like piece by piece building this life together, you know, and I got pregnant with my first son and, you know, I cried every day for nine months when I was pregnant with him because I was so full of fear. I was so full of fear because I said, you know, to the woman who was sponsoring me at the time, and I get like choked up every time I talk about it because... I swore that the only thing he was going to get from me was this disease, that he was going to become just like us and that mommy and daddy was a recovering alcoholic and that he was going to be like us too. And I just didn't know how to stop it, you know? And the woman who was sponsoring me at the time, she just said to me, she's like, you can't stop it from happening. You know, you can't, you're not God, you can't stop this, but what you can do is stay sober and, and allow him to be able to talk to you. So if he needs help, he knows where to go, you know? And that's what I've done every day is that I've, I've tried to learn as much as I can. And I've tried to create this environment where I can stay sober so that if my kids ever need me, they'll know where to go. You know, they'll know that, you know, mommy doesn't drink and that mommy goes to these meetings and that if I need help, I can go to them too, you know? Um, it's not perfect, you know, and, you know, today we, we talk a lot, you know, and I find myself, I find myself like what I call 12 stepping my kids, <laughs> like, you know, like sometimes my son will come home and he's having a temper tantrum and it's just a really bad day for him. And he's screaming and he's crying. And then he feels bad that he screamed and cried. And, and I look at him and I'm like, we can just start over. It's okay. You know, it's like, you didn't hurt anybody. You didn't hurt my feelings. I'm not mad at you. Like we all get upset sometimes. Let's just start over. You know, the beauty in that is that he'll see me and he'll see I'm having a bad day and he'll say, mommy, we can just start over. Like, it's okay, you know? And we've just created this really like beautiful environment where we talk to each other, you know? Um, and it's not always perfect, you know? It's not like 
that's a really pretty way of me packaging it because for storytelling purposes, you know? Um, but the nice thing is, is that I have learned that it's okay to not present well either. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's totally okay for me to have a really bad day and to call somebody and be like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing and I can't get through this day and I need some help. Can you please help me? You know? And that's really one of the, I think one of the most important things that we as humans can realize is that we don't have the skill sets to do everything and to do everything perfectly. And that's why there are other people in our tribes, in our circles, in our families and in our work environment so that we can tap into other resources, other people to not only hold us up, but then do the things for us or with us that we don't have the expertise to do. I was laughing and I was talking to my, um, my current sponsor about this and she's been with me for, you know, a few years now. And, you know, we're talking about quarantine and I said, I was like, I've already been quarantined. Like I've been on maternity leave with two kids, not being able to leave the house, you know, like I've already done quarantine. Like this is like the second round, you know, but the difference is, is like today we lean in, you know, like I have you know, the women that I can call. And if it's not my sponsor, I have another woman that has kids that's, that's going through the same thing that, you know, I have women in my life that I can respond with one word text messages. And they're calling me within three minutes saying, are you okay? That wasn't normal, you know? Um, and that's what I think the joys of my second phase is, is, you know, not only do I get to help other women and I get to share my story and I get, I, I have women who call me that are new in sobriety with children and they're, they're like, how do I do this? Like, how do you do this? How do you get to a meeting? How do you, um, you know, how do you balance motherhood and recovery? Or I have women, you know, I, I work in the business of treatment today, you know, I have women who call me and they're like, I really think I want to do this for a living. And I get to ask them the same questions that were asked of me, you know, and those probing questions to, to find out if their heart is really in it or if they just kind of see a paycheck at the end of it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and really kind of test them with the things that are going to come up that nobody knew was going to come up with me, you know? Right. Um, you know, but I, the, the beauty is, is that today I also know that, you know, I can be the matriarch of my family, but I can also end the day and being like, oh, I didn't do that day so well today. You know what I mean? Like that was not such a good day, but like tomorrow I get to try again, you know? And that's okay too, because like I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs. My kids don't know me as that person. They just know me as mommy that doesn't drink. You know, yeah. my son tells people that mommy's allergic to wine, you know? Um, and that's just kind of how we go through life and we just figure it out. Yeah. One day at a time, right? Exactly. And so now you are, you're helping other people get into treatment. Yes. So Diana, what would you say to, and, and I see this happening a lot in our community and I, I know it's prevalent everywhere, but it seems like in affluent communities, it may be, I don't know the statistics, but it's definitely very prevalent. And what would you say to a parent who, or parents who, you know, work full time and they're, 
it's kind of escaped them. And then all of a sudden they're starting to see signs and symptoms. Their kids aren't acting quite right. They, they think something's wrong. How do they approach this subject effectively without, without the anger or angst or other emotions um, to address the needs of their children? There is nothing more effective than putting a drug addict or an alcoholic in front of another drug addict or an alcoholic. You know, um, if you want, if you want your kid to open up, put them in front of somebody that understands, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, people have this, this version of a drug addict or an alcoholic that we have no souls and that we have no consciences. There is nobody on this earth that is beating themselves up more than a person who's in active addiction. Um, and when they are confronted by the people who love them the most, like their family member or, you know, their, their father, their mother, their husband, their wife, whoever that may be, that person that's on the other side, they are dying inside because the only person that they want to make happy is the person that they have disappointed the most. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You know, put them in front of somebody who understands. And if you don't know who that person is, you know, there are, are organizations, there are community members out there um, that are willing to help you. You can call me, you can call anybody and we can point you in the right direction. Um, you know, but the point is, is that I think all too often families want to keep it inside, you know, what other people don't know. It, it, it's like the problem doesn't exist, you know? Um, I remember the first time I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I grew up in West Windsor, New Jersey, which is like right outside of Princeton. It's like a pretty affluent town, you know? And I went to that first meeting thinking, oh my God, what if I see people there? Like, what if I see people that know me? And then the person that I was with was like, they're there for the same reason as you are, you know? And I had to like drill it in my head, like, oh, wait a minute, you're right. Like, if I see somebody that knows me there, we're there for the same reason. So it doesn't, like, it's not going to bother them. There won't be judgment there. Exactly. In other words, yeah. Exactly. Like there's, there's less judgment out there than you think. And there's more people silently suffering with this disease than you would think. Um, and I have found that the more families that are willing to open their mouth and just say, help me, I don't know what I'm doing, the more successful their child is or loved one or husband or wife. Yeah, that's powerful, I think. Um, because as parents, you're so in it. You love your kids so much and you don't want to see them this way and you feel like your hands are tied and then the anger starts and so many different emotions. So I think that's just amazing advice. Listen, I mean, I, I'm a mom too now and I want to stress that. Like, I, I, I can tell you how I would handle it when my kids go through this, if my kids go through this, and I don't know if it's going to be how it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, there are things that people would have, if there are things that I wish people would have addressed with me that they just didn't know to. If that first time I would have gotten drunk, if people would have found out about it and they would have, you know, asked me why, why did I feel like with my best friend in the entire world, did I feel the need to get drunk that night? You know? Um, it may have changed the trajectory, you know, because it may have forced me to, you know, even if I had to look square in somebody's eyes and say, I don't know, it probably would have started some conversations, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the difference today of the things that we know now that we didn't know then, you know, is that 
you know, if my kid chooses to drink that first time, I'm going to ask him why he felt like he needed to do that. You know, I'm not, I'm probably not going to be mad. I'm probably not going to be upset. I'm probably just going to ask him why, why did you feel like you needed to do that with your friend that you grew up with where you never felt like you needed to do that before and just start the conversation. Conversation is so important. It really is because, you know, I, I think in those situations, just opening up the line of communication, you know, just like my sponsor said to me is, you're not going to be able to stop it from happening, but at least you'll be there when your loved one asks for help. And that's mm -hmm. where we want to be. You know, we can't stop the train from imploding, but we can be there to help the survivors come out, you know? Um, and it's possible to live these lives. I talk to families all the time where mothers are like, oh my God, what if they get a felony and then they're not going to be able to work and they're not going to be able to go to school. I know felons that makes more money than people who don't have felonies today. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I know, I know people that have done some really amazing things and you would never know what their background is because it just doesn't matter. It doesn't change the person that they are. It just gives them a different side of them where they know a little bit of a different life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times people are, they're making a career out of telling their story. Yeah. I mean, it's possible to do that too. You know, I, you know, I have been so blessed with, you know, being able to just connect with people on such a human level, you know, and, and every person that has been put in my life from beginning to end has played this significant role. I was, I was telling this story, my story the other night in a meeting, um, and I was sharing about how, you know, the, the women that I met on my first night at that first meeting that I went to, I don't know where they are today. I have no idea if they're even in the rooms anymore, but they, they kept me sober that, that night. You know what I mean? And they my first sponsor and, you know, and somebody chimed in and they were like, you know, we forget that, that these people, there are people in our lives that have no idea what a significant impact that they made on us just by spending like five or 10 minutes with us. And I think if the world just kind of spent more time acknowledging that there are people that we brush by, that we make these crazy impactful memories on without us even knowing about, you know, things might be a little different, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, you know, that's really enlightening. And it, it's something that there's something to be said for that, because I always say, you know, you can change the course of someone's day, maybe even their life just by smiling at them. Right. And we don't know what anyone next to us is going through. And this could be in any, any aspect of our lives, personally or business. We don't know what that other person is going through. So to give them that grace of respect and to give them an opportunity to, to talk or to just be, it, it's a huge blessing. I think sometimes no communication is the best communication too. Um, and just allowing, you know, allowing some silence to happen is sometimes more impactful than anything else, you know, because as, as humans, we want to over talk, we want to overthink, we want to, we just want to overdo everything. And sometimes, you know, we just have to create this really safe space for people. Um, 
you know, I'm not always good at that. You know, I'm not even in my own house, you know, like I was sharing the other day, I come from this Italian background. We're super emotional. Um, my husband is not from that type of background. You know, my husband will be mad at me for something for like five days before I even know about it. I'm not like that. Like he'll walk in the house and it's written all over my forehead why I'm upset, you know? Um, those are things that I work on. Like I'm not perfect at it, you know, but that's why it's, it's really nice to be able to just admit, like, I'm not perfect. I have a ton of faults, you know, but I'm like so eager to be taught that it's, you know, it, it just keeps me going every day. Like I love waking up every day and being like, all right, what can I learn today? Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, what do I have to learn today? You know? Yeah. yeah. But it's sometimes those, sometimes those lessons are like a two by four hitting us upside the head. Right. <laughs> right. You How know? did I miss this before? Well, Diana, I think, um, your journey has been remarkable and there are so many people who have been in the same situation that you've been in or had similar journeys that maybe they share, maybe they don't share, but I, for one, am grateful that you're sharing. And, you know, as I mentioned to you, I had Mary Fran von Tempo on and your episode is going to follow hers immediately. And I'm really excited to share her perspective as a mom and then your perspective as an addict. And I think, in combination, the two will really make a difference for other people. So Mary Fran and I actually um, started putting together YouTube episodes um, called Conversations on Addiction, where we just, we do exactly that. She discusses her point of view as a person who is not in addiction, um, going through this process. And I talk about what it's like to be on the other side of that. Um, so it's really neat to kind of hear that perspective on the other you know, on the other end of it. Yeah. Um, so tell the audience, how, how can people, number one, listen to your episodes with Mary Fran? Because I know Mary Fran's story and, you know, my listeners are hearing it for the first time today because we're recording on Monday and her episode released today and yours will, will air on Thursday. But tell the audience how they can listen to the two of you and your, your insightful and impactful conversations. And then also where they can find you and should they have questions, reach out to you. Maybe they have a child or, or a relative, you know, a significant other, whoever that case may be, that they could actually reach out to you and get the resources to then take those steps forward to healing. So you can find um, Mary Fran and my episodes called Conversations on Addiction. Um, we are on YouTube on Mary Fran Von Tempo's YouTube channel. Um, you can search Conversations on Addiction. We are sponsored by Dream Life Recovery Center, which is where I work. Um, you can find me on social media. I am Diana Dubs on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Or you can call me at 609-851-2499. That is my personal cell phone number and it is on all the time. That's awesome. That's very generous of you. And I thank you for that. Thanks for being here, Diana. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at the Robin Graham. 
You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, The Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the Second Phase Podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.